God says in his book that they have no rest day and night. Hell will never burn itself out. When a man, a woman has been there 100 million years, he won't have one last second to spend there. That's the message of this third angel. This is Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy. Dr. Brogy is the senior pastor at Community Bible Church in Beaufort, South Carolina. In our study of the Revelation, we're in chapter 14, verses 6 through 11. Our passage tells of three angels that will present themselves during the tribulation period, each of them with a message for those who've been left behind following the rapture. We've seen the message of the first angel being a warning that the time of judgment has arrived. As we pick up, Dr. Brogy begins reading from verse 11 and discusses the fall of the immoral culture referred to as Babylon, or also as the harlot, which will be seduced by the Antichrist into believing a false religion. In another angel, a second one followed, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, she who has made all the nations drink of the, of, of the wine of the passion of her immorality. Again, we'll consider this in detail, um, but again, I just want you to know that she is introduced here as someone who is engaged in immorality. Now understand the term immorality is used in different ways in the Bible, sometimes of literal, actual, physical sexual immorality, but sometimes of spiritual immorality. James will say, to those people who are friends of the world, they are adulteresses. They have committed spiritual adultery. God accused Israel, to whom he was married, as having committed spiritual adultery. Now, interestingly, because God's not married to the unbeliever, he cares about the unbeliever. This harlot that represents a false message basically invites people to fornication. It's another form of spiritual wickedness. And she is a harlot. She's called a whore in the 17th chapter. Here she's just called Babylon the Great. And we will see that this is not the literal physical city of Babylon, though many think that because the Babylonians embraced the teaching that was taught at the Tower of Babel, that maybe they were either direct descendants or they just adopted their, the title of their group from those folks. I don't know. No one can say dogmatically. But in either case, this harlot is going to seduce people with a false religion away from the living God. She's a seducing harlot with her lies and with an intoxicating wine, just like wine wicked men know that if you want to seduce someone of the opposite sex, you give them wine to drink. That's what the book of Habakkuk says in the second chapter. Woe to you who gives your neighbor to drink to make them drunk so you can see their naked. Well, this harlot gives the wine of her wicked theology to make people drunk on false doctrine. All right, you with me? Here's the first angel. The angel preaches judgment has come. The second angel, Babylon has fallen. But now the third angel, the third angel preaches to escape God's wrath. The third angel preaches to escape God's wrath. And this angel also unfolds three simple truths concerning the wrath of God. First, that God's wrath is personal. It's personal. 
Verse 9 introduces us to this third preaching angel. Then another angel, a third one, followed them, saying with a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast in his image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand. So if you remember, there's an unholy trinity. Satan takes the role of God the Father, the Antichrist the role of God the Son. But then he has this sinister minister of propaganda, a false prophet who takes the role of the Holy Spirit and points men to the Antichrist. And he tries to convince them to take the mark of the beast on their right hand or on their forehead. And many will do it. Now, we'll see it when we come to the 17th chapter, but let me just give you kind of a preview of what's going to happen. We're going to learn in the 17th chapter that during the first half of the tribulation, the Antichrist, who is the beast, is going to carry this woman on top of her. He is going to let the woman ride the beast, so to speak. He is going to use this mystery Babylon as as it is described. That's why I say Babylon is more than a city. It's called mystery Babylon, something that was hidden but is now revealed. He is going to allow this woman who is going to lead this one world religion to unite the nations of the world together. And religion has a way of gluing people together that politics often cannot do. But there will come a point, as we will see, through a ten-nation coalition that the Antichrist will say to the woman, I'm done with you, and he will destroy her. When will that happen? After the Antichrist is killed. We studied that in the 13th chapter. The 17th chapter is going to review it and give us the chronology. The Antichrist is going to experience a fatal wound, but then he is going to come back to life. And the scripture will say in the 17th chapter, he will come out of the abyss. He's a real human, but at this point, he is a superhuman. He's called the son of perdition in scripture. There's only one other person who's called the son of perdition, and that's Judas, who is literally inhabited by a demon. The Antichrist will literally have the power of Satan. And the world will stand in awe as he is not resurrected to life in a resurrected body, but as he is raised to life, it will be a miracle, like the miracle of Lazarus, and the world will fall at his feet. And the false prophet will try to get people to follow him. And so people have to make a choice. Now understand, not everyone has made a choice at this point. And this is why we have this preaching angel to warn people. It's not too late for some of them. Some of them have not yet made the choice, but many will make the choice. Some will sell their soul to be able to get a good meal or to buy a tank of gas because you will be able to buy or sell nothing unless you take the mark of the beast. And those who refuse the mark, the Bible teaches, will be tortured, persecuted, starved, and put to death by beheading. There will be no neutrality. Now, people today think they can be neutral about the Lord Jesus because they think, well, there's really no consequence, and you don't really see the consequence until you die. He that believes in the Son has life. The one who does not believe, the wrath of God lives on him. They see that at the moment of death. One second after they're dead, they will see they made the most foolish decision in life. But understand, these people will immediately see the consequences. You either follow Antichrist and get all the benefits of following him, or you are tortured and persecuted. You have to decide, will you defy the Antichrist or will you deify the Antichrist? 
Now, let me read verse 10. There are two words that I think you should circle that describe that God's wrath is personal. First, actually in verse 9, the word anyone, circle that word. If anyone worships the beast in his image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he, circle that personal pronoun, he also will drink of the wine of the wrath of God. Very simply put, if you worship the enemy of God, you will experience the wrath of God. Now, the question has come up several times in the last month on the Bible line, and some of you grabbing me in the hallway or emailing me through Search the Scriptures. Is it possible, it's been asked, once you take the mark of the beast to be forgiven? And the answer emphatically from this verse and others like it is no. You cannot be forgiven. You say, well, why is taking the mark of the beast such a damnable sin against God? Why does it condemn a person to an eternity in hell? Because to take the mark of the beast is to willfully choose to serve Satan rather than God. It is a formal rejection against the Lord Jesus Christ. Just like today, if you receive Jesus, you make an eternal decision that cannot be undone and you would never want it to be undone. Likewise, in this day, when people choose the mark of the beast, they will make an eternal decision. If anyone worships the beast in his image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink of the wine of the wrath of God. Now, this is a frightening message. And by the way, it's designed to frighten people. It's designed to get people not to embrace the Antichrist and to follow the eternal gospel of Christ. Those who say that our preaching should never scare unbelievers and that we should never hang over their head the reality of judgment have both misrepresented the message of this angel and what Jesus taught. Now, I cannot preach the Bible consistently, and I preach through whole books of the Bible. I don't skip verses. Now, there are some pastors who conveniently just preach certain sections of the Bible. And many times you find out what they are really like and what they embrace by what they don't say. But understand, if you preach the whole counsel of God as we're commanded to do, you're going to have to deal with the multiplicity of texts that deal with the eternal wrath of God. Now, if you were raised in a home where you were taught that hell is just a figment of someone's imagination or something that you hold over people to keep them uh, honest or, or hell is just like, you know, hanging around in a traffic jam on a difficult day, oh, this is hell, then you were misinformed. The gospel is not just believe in the Lord Jesus Christ in order for you to go to heaven. Equally true is the gospel is believe in the Lord Jesus that you might not go to hell. Now, as a pastor, I am going to preach by God's grace until I die or he takes me the whole counsel. And I recognize that as a preacher, I will incur a stricter judgment than most of you. That's what the scripture says. I have been entrusted to the word of God. And if I uh, leave portions out or uh, rationalize it away or change its meaning, I am going to meet God in a severe judgment. There's a judgment that every Christian faces, not to see if they go to heaven, but how they will be rewarded for all of eternity when they get to heaven. If anyone worships the beast 
and his image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his right hand, he also will drink of the wine of the wrath of God. Please notice again the pronouns. This is not metaphorical. This is not mystical. This is personal. It is a personal horror. And as we will see in a moment, it embraces a literal fire. Now, many supposed evangelicals in our day no longer preach what this angel is preaching. And a lot of pastors today look for loopholes in the doctrine of eternal uh, retribution by just saying, well, it's just a place of eternal separation. Indeed, it is that but is much more than that. Which brings me to the second description. Not only is the wrath of God personal, I want you to see that the Bible teaches God's wrath is painful. It is painful. Again, at the end of verse 9, we read, if anyone worships the beast in his image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, notice, he also will drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is mixed in full strength, and the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of his holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. I want you to notice that unlike many pastors and Christians today, this third angel will basically spend all his time preaching about a coming judgment. Again, his message is designed to frighten people that this is an everlasting judgment. Now, it's certainly very compact and condensed, but nonetheless, it deals with the wrath of God. And please notice, he deals here with the wrath of God in terms of he will also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is mixed in full strength. Now, you know in the first century that Jewish people as Christians would typically take wine, and the term could be used of grape juice that had just been squeezed, or grape juice that had fermented, and they would mix it with water. It was kind of a purified drinking system. The Greeks and the Romans, about 10 different writers from those centuries before and after Christ, say that you were a barbarian if you just drank straight wine. They typically mix it, the Romans and the Greeks, in a three-to-one ratio. Three parts water, one part wine. The Jews and their pastoral manuals, so to speak, that rabbis would use in the uh, Mishnah indicated that uh, there were times at the festivals when they would drink wine and they were to mix it in a four-to-one ratio because they didn't want to be guilty of drinking strong drink. The Didash, a second century A.D. pastoral manual, said that if you did not have fresh wine, new wine at the Lord's Supper, you were to mix it in a four-to-one ratio, lest you be guilty of using strong drink. And so the first century reader caught this. What he is saying here is that God's wrath is not going to be diluted. It is going to come here unmixed. It is straight wrath in its fullest strength. He also will drink of the wine of the wrath of God. That's what he says. And then John adds, he will also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is mixed in full strength, and the cup of his anger, thumos. We get our word thermometer from it. It describes burning hot anger. Mercy and compassion will not be diluted with this. This will be the straight wrath and burning anger of God. Can you imagine? 
the prophet David. David was a king and a prophet, the Bible teaches. And prophetically, he describes this coming time in Psalm 2. Now therefore, O king, show discernment. Take warning, O judges of the earth. Worship Yahweh. Worship the Lord with reverence and rejoice with trembling. Trembling, Do homage to the Son that he may not become angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath may soon be kindled. How blessed are those who take refuge in him. Yet, Most Americans today do not believe that God is a God of wrath. And quite honestly, I think that's part of Satan's strategy to bury the doctrine of eternal retribution, to hide it in a closet somewhere. But this third angel plainly preaches that it is personal, it is painful, but also that God's wrath is permanent. It's permanent. Look at verse 11. And the smoke of his torment goes up forever and ever. They have no rest day and night, those who worship the beast in his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. Now, we'll cover this in depth when John covers it, but understand that hell is forever. Hell is permanent. And this angel would strongly disagree that hell is somehow burned out. I don't care what Rob Bell thinks in his book, Love Wins. There he is, stands in front of Willow Creek Community Church, 20,000 people every weekend whose pastor is now defunct because of sexual immorality that wasn't once but over decades. And they give him a standing ovation because there is no such thing as the eternal retribution of God. God says in his book that they have no rest day and night. Hell will never burn itself out. When a man, a woman has been there 100 million years, he won't have one less second to spend there. That's the message of this third angel. As I thought about it this week, I I think that very often we don't think of God's angels with these kinds of message. But one of the things that's underscored in the Revelation is that these angels are God's agents to deliver God's wrath and the sealed trumpet and bold judgments. And that this third angel is preaching the eternal wrath of God. Now, most angels, as they're described in books that you will pick up today, are described as rather effeminate and just, you know, sissy angels, so to speak. And, you know, and unfortunately, we have a lot of pastors like that in the ministry today. They're girly men. They're girly men, and they have no spiritual strength in their spine, and they're afraid to tell the truth because they're afraid what people will think and that people will leave. Listen. God is love, the Bible says, but the other God is passage is God is a consuming fire. And we need both. You cannot understand the grace and mercy and love of God apart from the wrath of God. And when you preach both, you have awakenings. That's what happened in the first great awakening. And one of the great preachers of that time was Jonathan Edwards. His signature sermon was sinners in the hands of an angry God. I thought, what would we entitle a sermon today by the average preacher? Maybe sinners in the hands of a happy God. Or possibly people who have made some bad choices in life in the hands of a loving God. Or maybe it would be negative thinkers in the hands of a positive God who wants to fulfill their vision and make their lives the best life now. Edwards preaches sinners in the hands of an angry God. And I read it in college because I was converted about the same time as my friend Jonathan Edwards. 
Jonathan Edwards. We're in the same Bible study together. It was a great, great, I'm not sure how many greats, grandson of the original Jonathan Edwards. And we were both new believers. We were growing in Christ. And I'd never heard of this guy, Jonathan Edwards. I didn't know his name was famous, but I did by the end of my freshman year. And I read the sermon and it stuck in my craw and it still sticks with me today. Now, the messages of positive thinkers and the positive word movement They refuse to speak of the coming wrath of God. Their message is basically, God is nice, you are nice, so be nice. And if you will be nice, then God will be nicer to you. That's behavior modification. That is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Think about what Jesus said. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than having your two hands to go into hell, into the unquenchable fire. Put those words up against the health wealth message of today. In essence, Jesus is saying it would be better to be a crippled saint on your way to heaven than to be a healthy sinner on your way to hell. Now, I know that the term hell is uh, just abused today. It's often a swear word, or it's used to describe a difficult time in life, and we say, well, he's going through hell. But we're going to learn in the Revelation, it is a literal, real place of torment. Now, when I came as your pastor almost 30 years ago, 86% of Americans believed in the doctrine of eternal retribution. Now, only 54% believe in hell. And what really shrinks it is when you get down into the younger ages where very few of them think of God at all like that. It's the older people who've brought the percentages up. But I want to tell you, if you could survey all the demons in the world today, 100% believe it to be a literal place of torment. Now, hell was not made for man. The Bible says hell was made for the devil and his angels. But when you listen to the devil and follow the devil and do what the devil does, then you get what the devil gets. You will go to the place where he will go in the end. Now, I've heard it preached many times by some pastors. They seem to get some kind of enjoyment of telling people they go to hell. I get no such enjoyment. I have no pleasure in that any more than God takes no pleasure, the prophet Ezekiel said, in the death of the wicked. But I must preach it because I love God and I love him because he first loved me. And I am called as a preacher to teach the whole counsel of Scripture. In fact, what makes hell so real to me and God's love so real to me is when I bring the two of them together. Because I understand that on the cross, Jesus' death had to at least equal the payment that I would need to experience for all of eternity in hell. Now, you may not want to listen to this message today. And I don't know if those people who've gotten up and left were because they were mad at me. Sometimes they just have to use the bathroom or their number comes out. I don't take it personally, but it happens. Because how do I know it happens? Because I call the visitors sometimes. And they say, well, I left. I'd filled out a card and, and uh, uh, I, I put it in, in, in the Sunday school class, and, but I left because I didn't like what you had to say. Okay, that's all right. On one occasion, Jesus encountered two gathering demoniacs. Do you remember that? 
The Bible emphasizes one over the other because one had a more prominent role. But nonetheless, in that place called Kersey, some of you have been with me to Kersey. You can see the actual tombs where these guys lived. We're going there next year, and maybe you'd like to come. But I'll tell you, if last week is like next week, we're going to fill up very, very fast on this trip. But at one point, the people said, leave us alone, Jesus. Go from here. We don't want you. Jesus gave them their wish. Listen, when you come under the preaching of God's Word and the Spirit of God is convicting you and you put God off, you're making the mistake of your life. You can't come to God whenever you want to come to God. No one can come to the Father unless the Father draws him. And if God is speaking to your heart today and you're unsure of where you're going to spend eternity, you should prepare. The Bible says prepare to meet your God. You know, we prepare for all kinds of things in life. We prepare for old age and for retirement and for education. You know, yesterday I was in my office and and all of a sudden my, my heart jumped. My phone put out this funny ringtone. I, I thought the alarm went off in the building, and then it came up on my phone that I'm supposed to prepare for the hurricane. We would do well to prepare to meet God. Now, we, we, we buy all this insurance so that if a hurricane comes, you know, we're covered for this. And we're, Look, do you have assurance? Do you know that you know that you know that heaven is your home. Now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. You can't come to Christ whenever you want to come to Christ. When God is convicting you and drawing you, you would be wise. Now, I wish there was no hell, but there is. I wish there was no such thing as sin, but there is. Now, I can tell you I don't like child abuse and war and drug abuse and murder but it doesn't change the fact that it's true. And you can say, I don't like the doctrine of hell, but it doesn't change the fact that it is a real biblical doctrine. But thank God, not only is there a hell, there is a heaven. And I'm not here simply to tell you this morning to go to hell. I'm here to tell you today to go to heaven. I don't want you to say I'm damned. I want you to say I'm I'm saved. I know my name is written in the Lamb's book of life. You say, Pastor, how can I know that? You have to receive Jesus as Lord. You have to reject the world's way of religion, Nimrod's way of religion, Babylonian religion that is man-based through human effort. And you must embrace God's way through the Messiah, the Lord Jesus. He is the only one who can save you. And if you will come bankrupt acknowledging that your sin is wrong and needs to be changed and put your faith, full confidence in Jesus who died, was buried, and was raised in a moment's time. You'll be transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of lights. And when you die or when Jesus comes, He'll take you to heaven. You can know because it's the gift of God and it is not earned. Have you ever received that gift Today is the day to do it. Prepare to meet your God. And if you've met Him, are you spreading the good news? What was last week like for most of you listening? Did you tell anyone about Jesus? You're commanded to. It's not just a command of preachers. It's a command of the whole blood-bought church of God. As you go, make converts. Not do discipleship. That's an escape. 
Oh, I do discipleship. That's what the Great Commission is. Make disciples, do discipleship. That's not the Great Commission. That is a distortion of truth. The commission, first and foremost, is as you go make converts, preach the gospel to everyone under creation. What do you do with these new converts? They're to be baptized. And then you teach them. You cannot say that you are engaged in the Great Commission if you're not attempting in some way, shape, or form to bring people to Jesus. Hell is real. Heaven is real. This is good news that we must preach. To listen again to today's study from Revelation 14, verses 6 through 11, use the Search the Scriptures app for Apple and Android devices, or visit us online at searchthescriptures.org. You can also order it on a CD or DVD by calling 877-787-7478 and requesting program REV38, titled Free Angelic Preachers. Search the Scriptures is made possible through your prayers and financial support. Find out more at searchthescriptures.org. Tomorrow we begin a look at the lifestyle of the saved. Join us then as we search the Scriptures.